Welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire our city. If we're ranking these in four topics or categories, is our flesh. Um, and so I want to spend some time in understanding the flesh so that we can learn to live from the spirit, so that we can not be governed by our circumstances, our feelings, or emotions. I don't know about you, but sometimes my emotions just get so loud, whether it's from fear, shame, whatever it might be. And sometimes it's just easy to live from that uh, versus to live from faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Melanie, you could put up uh, kind of some bullet points here, and I'm, I'm not trying to be a college professor or, hey, we're not issuing out a lecture or what do they call those things they give you in a syllabus? Yep, not trying to do that. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a pretty, like, rubber-meets-road kind of guy. Like, we could have a lot of conversations on LSU football, coffee, the Saints, the weather, different things like that. I can't stay there too long because I'm wanting to be, you know, uh, below the surface and getting, you know, where deep meets deep. And um, at the end of the day, we're made up of family and relationships. And whether it's marriage, whether it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, whether it's an employer, whether it's a father-son parental relationship, you know, at the end of the day, my heart is that we would learn to live and to experience freedom in all areas of life. And I think, like I said, one of the most grossly misunderstood areas of the, of the Christian life is our flesh. So today might be a little bit heavy. I'll try and stay here for like 17 to 22 minutes or so and then get out of that. Get out of that. But my heart is that we would learn to live in newness of life, that we would learn to live from the spirit regardless of what's happening around us. And so those are the, the topics that I'll cover over the next month, give or take. And, um, you know, I also wanted to cast some vision to, you know, Sunday mornings at Cedar House Church. I know that we're in a transitory time. And uh, uh, Father just been putting these things um, on me. And also I'm working through these as well, too. So I'm going to pray and we'll get kick-started. Well, Lord... Father, thank you for everyone here. I pray that um, you know, your word says that you pierce, you pierce through the division of soul and spirit. And so I pray that through your revelation that you would speak to every person here and that you would be revealed in a better way, a fresher way, a new way. And that, Father, by your gentle grace, that you would expose areas that we are living by the flesh and give us a lens of grace, knowing that this is, in a lot of ways, this is, this is no fault of our own, but it's what we've been dealt with. And it's our opportunity to live as new creations in Christ Jesus and therefore to see others around us as the same viewpoint. 
So we just ask you to continue to minister and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. Miss Melanie, you could put that first bullet point on the quote of the problem. I don't know who this quote was from. I read it in a book, and uh, it looked good. Um, some of this information I'm stealing, so it's not my own. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes said everything under the sun, and there's nothing new under the sun, so I'll kind of go from that methodology as well, too. But he says, your problem is that you don't know what your problem is. You think your problem is your problem, but that's not the problem at all. Your problem is not your problem, and that's your main problem. <laughs> cool, we could uh, pray and go home now. You know, as I was mentioning, we, we in, in this realm of this Christian life, we, we do have some things in against us that are in opposition to us. I feel like we have a, a grid of the understanding of the devil and, and the, the demonic. You know, that, that could freak some people out. Some people are very familiar with it. Um, you know, my lens, certainly they are, they are real. They're never going away. But I, I, I think the enemy is not a think. I know he's a defeated foe. Greater who is in me. Greater he who is in me than he who is in the world. You know, it says we experience God in victory by our faith. And so, yes, we may be tormented by a defanged lion that could spit nothing but venom of lies to us. But, man, they're, they're already defeated. Now, we're going to talk here in the next couple weeks how they do go hand in hand with our flesh. But, man, these dumb demons, they're just... They're just defeated. <laughs> you know, so I'm going to spend some time on that, but that won't be a lot of my focus here in the next month or so. Now we have, may have different speakers, and this may go out a few months. But, but I feel like we do have a handle in this church specifically of the demonic. There's different viewpoints and experiences. I got exposed to the, the demonic when I was a, when I was a teenager, um, my dad, who was a pastor, ha had a mission to like just go into <laughs> this crazy world and, and literally just want to cast out demons. Not saying that was good, bad, or indifferent. That was just where he was meeting God at that time. And I think if you look long enough for a demon, you'll find him. <laughs> and I remember going to, uh, my dad asked me to come with him one time, I think when I was 16 years old said, son, I'm going to meet with a girl. She said that pictures were going side to side in a room. She's been struggling with uh, certain things I won't mention. He's like, we're going to go cast out the demon. You know, we're going to go see what's going to happen. He's like, I want you to come with me. <laughs> I, at that moment, I hadn't had a lot of experience with those kind of things. And I was like, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to like hang out here and watch Sports Center or, you know, whatever it is. It's a lot, feels a lot safer. And so we, we end up, <laughs> he eventually convinces me, like, hey, I think this is something that will, you know, be a good thing for you. So we went to this house, and, you know, um, that, that was my first, uh, first experience with, with the de demonic. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, demons tremble when you mention the name of Jesus. <laughs> 
And so it's not something that we have to be uh, scared of or uh, weary of. Um, I've got a, a number of stories like that, and a lot of you guys have way more experience than I do with that. But I guess my posture is, is like, cool, they're defeated. And in the name of Jesus, they have no authority. And God has given that authority to us. And then when you talk about the world, the world which is under the sway of the wicked one, the enemy, that is some of our fight and our battle as well. With we live in a world that is fully indoctrinated with this achieving performance-based system. And it's all about what have you done for me lately. And it's something that we wrestle with um, because it's easy to get our identity in what we do or to be defined by our accomplishments or our appearance, uh, our looks, our knowledge base, whatever it is. This is the worldly system that we live in. The power of sin is something that we'll touch on as well. But when we talk about the flesh, you know, it, it does mention, I think, throughout, throughout the New Testament a number of times in the Old Testament. But if you were to, and don't answer this, but if you were to describe or I asked you, what is the flesh? You know, what, what would you say? Well, a lot of people might say, well, that's, that's the, a life centered on yourself. Or that's a life that, you know, is where I'm going to get my needs met, uh, you know, apart from God. And I would say, uh, you know, you're spot on. But there, there was a gentleman named Bill Gillum. Um, he wrote a book called Lifetime Guarantee. It's, it's uh, been one of the books that changed my life. And, and, and God gave him some nuggets of revelation um, on the flesh. And I'm going to talk to you about it today, the next couple weeks, on, on some things like that. I think there's, there's tremendous value for us to get our spiritual shovels and to dig up how we live by the flesh, not to focus on negativity, not to be depressed in the ways that we live apart from Christ. But if we understood how we acted apart from, apart from Jesus Christ, then the circumstances or the situations that we face that ultimately speak pain and despair, sp speak things to us that communicate, I need to protect myself. I think ultimately God wants to free us from some areas that we might be living in that are apart from him and that he never designed for us to live in. Millen, if you can, put the scripture of Romans 7. And, and we see scriptures like Romans 7. And I think understanding Romans 6, 7, and 8 is so, so crucial to our Christian life. We see this scripture and we immediately just run out the back door. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> Paul says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now... It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, or to make choices, decisions, but how to perform what is good, I just don't find. 
for the good that I will to do, I do not do. See, we're already kind of going out the back door right now. It's like we read through four verses and like, cool, I've, you know, whatever. Not really sure what this is about. But the evil that I will or choose not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find in a law that evil is present with me, that one who wills to do good. And lastly, for I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man, for I, another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity into the law of sin, which is in my members. And then Paul concludes, Dear Lord, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Anybody read that scripture? I'm sure. I mean, there's different interpretations of it. I am not going to focus on that throughout the message here. That'll be through the next few weeks. There's different interpretations all the way to where he's talking about. That's not even talking about the believer or the Christian all the way to, you know, the Instead of the word using flesh, they use the word sin nature, our old nature. I'm going to share with you what I think it means and ask you to ponder and pray to Jesus Christ, the Spirit, on what that is. But first, before I do that, I'm going I'm to tell a story. And guys, I'm going to be vulnerable with you. I'm going to share a little bit about my life on, on my flesh patterns, on... Um, on how I operate apart from Christ. And I'll also paint some stories that I've gone through or that I've experienced. And my goal isn't to just focus on this depth of exposing all these emotions. It, it, it kind of is. <laughs> but my goal is so that the spirit, you would be aware of the spirit have you ever thought, like, well, why does the Spirit live in me? Why isn't he, like, above me, around me, like, beneath me? No, no, he's in you. And, and the reason why he's in you, because he's the only person that could live the Christian life. And he is in you to free you so that you may learn, stop relying on the resources that you've depended on for a very long time. Now, that's through childhood, mother and father relationship, all these things so that you may be free to live only from him as your source of life. So, so that, that's, my, that's my motive. That's my, that's my agenda. But the stuff I will mention here for the next 10 minutes uh, will, will be a little bit heavy. Bill Gillum, in his book, Lifetime Guarantee, which he's not, he didn't write canon of scripture, but I like his definition of the flesh. Melanie, you could put it up there is flesh refers to the old ways or patterns, the patterns of living by which you have attempted to get all, not some, but all of your needs met, your needs supplied instead of seeking Christ first and trusting him to meet your needs. You could leave that up there, Melanie. We have deep, deep, big needs of love, of of knowing that we're accepted, that we belong, that, that we have worth and we have value. I'll just focus on those three needs. We, I think we have a lot more. And whenever we don't get those needs, 
from Jesus, we go to other sources, man, it, it's, it's not so much of a happy day. So my question to you is, how is the flesh developed, and why is it so important that we even focus on it this morning? Melanie, you could put that diagram up there real quick of the flesh. Hopefully y'all could see this. I'm sure a lot of y'all seen like this three-part thing of the body, soul, and spirit. By show of hands, I'm sure a lot of people seen that. You know, the, 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 the flesh is developed in our mind. It is developed in our, in our way of thinking. I believe the flesh is like a, a computer chip programmed into us from how we experience life very early on, and I'll talk about it here. And in the soul, which is our, our mind, how we think, our will, how we make choices, and our emotions, our thinker, excuse me, emotions, our, our feeler, excuse me, that's where the flesh lives. That's where it lives. And I believe we also have the, my personal belief is the power of sin is somehow dormant in our body, as Romans 6 talks about. I'm going to share a story with you to illustrate how the flesh gets developed. Let's say we have a child growing up. I made this name up. His name is Bobby. His mom and dad were only 16 when they forced themselves into marriage by both sets of parents. And Bobby's imminent arrival calls these newlywed parents to drop out of high school in their junior year, which ultimately, as they would say, ruined their lives. The little daddy had his heart set on being a college athlete and someday a football coach. But Bobby shattered that dream, and he ended up finding out later what that was all about. It's now three years later, and dad works at the local Dairy Queen in the rural area that they live in for 100 bucks a week. Obviously, this is probably years ago. The onset of football season is always agony for him as he meditates on lost opportunities and a hopeless future. He broods a lot over the life sentence he's serving with no hope of time off for good behavior. So let's color the dad hostile and resentful, rooted in frustration. And the little mom had always wanted to be a sorority gore at her mom's alma mater. Mom and her mother both before her were both members, and in fact, they both still wear their pens when they go to homecoming together. This was a big thing for her in her childhood, but now at 19, she works at the local Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurant. Her friends come home from the university on weekends in their fancy new clothes, but she still has to wear her old high school wardrobe, which is now outdated. She listens to their exciting stories of campus life, and she sees their manicured nails, expensive hairdos, polished toenails, and so on. And the result of there is that she is being able to invest hours per week, hours per week into something that I would call her earth suit, something that she gets our identity from, her appearance. She is bitter and resentful, and she too sees herself serving a life sentence for having made one fatal mistake and getting pregnant and marrying this guy and to make matters worse it was the guy's idea I'm going to go in here for a little bit the romantic side of marriage for her has long since dissipated 
I'm going to get honest here. And sex has become more of an obligation than a romantic oasis. Just one more thing she has to do for that nut which ruined his, her life. It's sort of like cooking another batch of chicken, except only after closing hours. She is hopeless. She operates in despair. And these parents, they keep a hot war going on constantly in their little three-room house. Right at the height of the battle, Dad unleashes a verbal artillery constantly on the son Bobby. It's all your fault, you little bleepity bleep. If you hadn't come along, I wouldn't be married to this old hag. I wish you'd never been born. And the husband storms out of the house in a rage to the accompanying tune of his wife, screaming that she hopes he'll get lost and never be found. You know, that may have been an, an extreme story. I don't know all of your stories. I don't know what your childhood was like. I don't know what your relationship with mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, aunt and uncles. Man, but the spirit does. You know, and on this example and on your example, in God's sovereignty, I can't fully explain it. I see that he sees every, every pain or every hurting moment, and he's there with us somehow because he doesn't exist in time. And I believe in that moment with this story about Bobby, the spirit is grieved. And I think the Spirit is so intentional about teaching us to live from His resources, from His Spirit, versus the flesh patterns that we learn. Because what what did you know? What what did little Bobby learn on that example? Well, eventually he starts thinking that I don't matter. I'm not worth anything. I caused all my parents all kind of pain and strife. And eventually little Bobby, he'll develop thoughts, he'll develop emotions, and he develops patterns and routines of how he makes choices in life. That was a fictitious example. I made that up. But our brain is developed, or it, it's comparable to how like a, a bank's deposits are. Anyone know how a, how a bank makes money? When, you, when, you, when we deposit money into a bank, immediately when we deposit, a, you know, a hundred bucks into a bank account, it somehow goes into the rivers of the bank will loan that money out, they'll invest it, and there's just like this avenue of where the money just goes off in this big, huge trail. And they keep some money on reserve, but they loan and invest out a lot of the money towards that. And there's these rivers, highways, streams. But man, the money just goes from who, who knows where it ends up. Our brain, I think, is built similarly to where we have depositories in our mind. And when in a, a memory or an event, a circumstance happens early on, and, the, and psychologists say that 85% of our personality is formed by age five. 
well, now psychologists don't don't know the that we you know they don't know about transformation in Jesus Christ. But we develop avenues, highways, we build trenches based on how the circumstances of life happen to us. And I think we develop programming on how to live, on how to cope with life. Let me give you an illustration. This is probably a bad illustration in a church service, but it's the best one I could think of, is let's just pretend that I were to throw a rattlesnake over there, <laughs> over here, wherever it is. In our soul, you know, we, we think and we have emotions. Y'all stay with me. I don't know about you, but in my emotions, when a rattlesnake is like right here, I'm probably going to go to that fight-to-flight response because I'm not Steve Irwin, and I don't really know how to handle that really well. And so it w- I would go from like a 1 to a 8, 9, or 10 pretty quickly. <laughs> now, in my thoughts, I would eventually start reacting in rationale, logic, like, cool, I'm going to take a step back. I might get someone who knows how to handle that or will kill it or whatever it is. And my thoughts will go down a lot quicker than my emotions. Is this making sense? Now let's pretend five minutes later, I come over there and there's a huge spider when I walk around the corner. Now my emotions are, they're probably coming down from like a nine to maybe a four. (laughs) And then when I see the spider, I'm just trying to maybe like a tarantula or something like that, something scary that I've never saw before close to me I'm gonna go right back up to that fight-or-flight response you know until I get a baseball bat and I destroy the spider <laughs> makes sense now my, my thoughts my rationale my logic my mind it's gonna go down a lot quicker than my emotions now I'll turn that illustration of a rattlesnake and a tarantula into someone's mother and father growing up. To where if the father was the rattlesnake, and every time you walked around the corner, you experienced some sort of direct, we'll call it abuse, we'll call it violence, and this consistently happens throughout your life. And let's say, let's say the mother or an aunt fill in the blank, whatever it has to be, represents that tarantula. And your feelings never go back down to that one when it comes to rejection, shame, unworthiness, fill in the blank, go on and on and on. And if you had to think of it like a, like a scale from like one to ten, like a little bar graph or something, and you're stuck, you're your threshold is at a seven for rejection. You've already thought about this a million times over. The rivers of thoughts have run through your mind. You've gotten a tractor, and this river has turned into an ocean, and it's become really big, and you're operating out of that 24-7. Or anything that reminds you of that pain. In the one through seven of emotions has become atrophied. You are stuck. Has anyone ever had muscle atrophy? 
man, it, it's no fun. It's no fun. I had, I've had three knee surgeries. The first knee surgery, the surgery didn't do a good job. Told me not to go to physical ther therapy. I listen. And whenever you don't develop, use a muscle, eventually it'll, it'll die. It'll atrophy. Mine got really bad. And, man, it's been, it has been work. I mean, literally, I, I could, like, pull up my pants, like, show you my calf muscle. You will laugh. At one point in time, I, I had a little bit of muscle down here. <laughs> but it, it takes work to develop those atrophied muscles. And, man, I'm going to be heavy here for five to eight more minutes. It takes work to work on your stuck emotions your atrophied emotions. I'm going to give you some more examples. I'm going to give you four of them. One, of the, one out of these four is me. My goal isn't to shame, condemn, throw an, a, an arrow, anything like that, but it is to let the Spirit speak to you. The first example, let's just say you grew up with a father similar to that example I mentioned with Bobby, that was angry, that was loud, direct, authoritative, and abusive. And the message that you start to repeat to yourself and know in your mind is you become afraid of him. And you learn very quickly, I'm going to stay out of this guy's way. And you become really good at hiding and not trusting mainly because you don't want to experience his wrath or that pain and you start to feel worthless and you start to believe that you just don't matter. And your emotions, they start to become programmed and you are stuck on like that level of eight of rejection. And anything, when you start growing up, guys, this is the flesh. <laughs> when he says learn to live by the spirit so that you won't gratify the desires of the flesh, this is how we learn up here. It happens through our experiences, circumstances, events, and it forms the way we think and how we cope in life. And you get stuck at like an 8 or an 8.5. And whenever any circumstance comes around that that reminds you of the rejection and pain that you felt, it doesn't take you long to get to that 10 before all heck breaks loose. And you're not quite the healthy individual that your spouse, your kids, whomever, you know, see most of the time. It takes a lot of work for Jesus Christ to minister to you through his healing power. It, 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 it takes time, as you see here in a second. The second example, let's say you have an uncle. I mean, if we can't be honest at church, what are we doing? But if, you, if we have an uncle... You have an uncle. That sexually abused you. That violated every part of you. And no one defended you. And you were all alone. And the message that you believe is you start to understand, comprehend that that gender who violated you, they're not to be trusted ever again. 
and you start to control everything around you that reminds you of that event and that pain you went through so that you won't experience that hell ever again. And ultimately, shame. Shame sets in and it roots in the way that you think. And you start developing a shame-based identity and your shame and rejection meter when anything that reminds you of that hellish event, you're at a 9.5. And if you get corrected, you get spoken to like, like you don't matter, anything that reminds you of that, you hit that 10 quickly. And the flesh, the way it operates, it is, it is a protector. You aren't ever gonna hurt me like the hell that I experienced. And it's difficult learning to live in the spirit whenever a circumstance happened and you get that trigger that reminds you of that pain. I'm gonna give two more examples. Let's say you have a mom that wasn't nurturing. She didn't know how to show you comfort and there wasn't a lot of physical connection. And every time you experience not making a good grade on your English test, not making the team, or getting rejected by a boyfriend or girlfriend, you were looking for comfort very early on, and your mom didn't know how to do that. And therefore, you don't feel loved and cared for. You have trouble connecting with that gender and every time you experience hurt and pain, you don't know how to comfort yourself. That was never modeled out to you. So every time when you are looking for comfort, you run to any other thing that you can find imaginable that would ease that pain. Whether it's food, whether it's sex, whether it's work, whether it's play, whether it's your appearance. And that's how you start to cope and live life whenever things happen. And the last example, I know this is heavy. Let's say in your childhood you make straight A's. You're a great performer. Sports, you're popular. You got the looks, the appearance, and so forth. And you receive a lot of praise based on your performance. And therefore, you realize over time that you feel like you belong by manipulating people to get them to continue clapping for you. You perform for other people's praise. And you become the ultimate people pleaser or performer. And you also have tremendous anxiety when you can't meet the mark because you've never failed. And you're afraid to fail, you're afraid to disappoint people because ultimately when you do that means that you truly are worthless. And the emotions, when you're on that scale, are really high, whether it's a seven, eight, or nine. Whenever you get correction, whenever you fail, you take it really personally. Is this making sense? <laughs> Melanie, can you put up that picture of the Lord of the Ring? <laughs> the other one. Sorry, there you go. I know that these are kind of, can y'all see this okay? 
ish. And what you do before you meet Jesus Christ is you draw a, a circle around you. And you become Lord of the dance, Lord of the ring. And you also do it to protect yourself. And you put control measures in place so that you don't experience that kind of pain anymore. And that's how you start to live in your flesh. Melanie, you could go to the next slide. I've got about five more minutes. Yeah, go back. There you go. So going back to the, the body, soul, and spirit is when we are saved, and I know we all know this, but our spirit has this amazing intimacy with Jesus, with the, with the Holy Spirit. And he makes all things new. Does he not? We get a new past, we get a new future, we have a new identity. But the, the sanctifying process of us meeting Jesus Christ, we don't get new thought patterns. We don't get new emotions. At least my experience, and I think what scripture says. And we come to Jesus Christ we're still performing. We're operating in a rejection or shame-based identity. And man, I think one of the Spirit's greatest ministry is to touch you in your soul, in your mind, in your thoughts and emotions. What does Romans 12 say? It says, don't be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He is after your mind. Because he know, man, it's been tainted. It's been blemished. Whether it was five years or 20 years. And the scripture that I would focus on to kind of wrap us up here is in Philippians 3. You know, the flesh can mean a lot of things. It could talk about the body. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how we live apart from Christ. And this is where the Apostle Paul sums it up. Sorry, guys, I told you it was heavy. It says, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence, put no confidence in the flesh. Hopefully you have a grid for more what the flesh is. Though also, I might have confidence in the flesh. And Paul gives his resume. He says, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, and concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. I don't, I don't know how that happens, how you like keep the law. But that was his claim. Before I go on to the next, whatever identity we have formed, you know, part of, part of my fleshly identity is we got a couple pastor's kids in here. One, one or two somewhere. Yep. 
Can y'all come up here? We're gonna uh, we're gonna share our testimony. <laughs> Kidding. I don't know what it was like for them. I don't know what it was like for you growing up. But always, I I heard the the praise. But man, look look at those Denton kids. You know, look at look at how perfect they are. You know, and so man, I I learned early on to be an outstanding performer. You know, for people. I was well-liked. I was not going to make hardly any mistakes. I made the grades. I was the fastest guy in the school. Um, I was, you know, wanted to be popular, wanted to be, make something of myself. And I didn't know that I was really on a treadmill just trying to please people and not have them disappoint me them because that's where I got my identity. And I'm a young dude. I'm only 39, but the last 20 years, you know, that some people may call it Satan. And no doubt the enemy wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. Your marriage, your family, your children, that is his mission 24-7. But I also believe when you come over here, and it's important to know the difference is Jesus Christ will use those will use events that might feel like the enemy and he's doing it to work his purposes in your life so that you may not be reliant on this self-based identity and that you may be reliant on your true identity on Jesus Christ and that's what Paul is saying he says but what things were gained to me these I have counted lost for Christ Yet indeed, I also count all things loss. I think in the Greek, he actually uses the word like dung, like manure, for the excellence of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I'm sorry, that, that's dung. I count them as rubbish, that I may gain, that I may gain Christ. I would be found in him. Man, this has been a struggle for me, not having my own righteousness. We could even appear to, to look good, to talk about good things. But Jesus says, man, that's dead. It's dead works. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. I love it, Jinji's still sleeping. <laughs> I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you've been. I don't know where you're headed. I know Jesus is so intentional about pursuing all the areas of pain that you had, all the areas of independence that you've learned to walk in. And it might feel like Satan. And no doubt, the enemy, we do wrestle with you know, forces that are not flesh and blood. And we'll talk about it here in the next month. But it is important for us to stay there in that hard place, whether it's through your marriage, whether it's a job, financial conditions. Every day he's whispering, Jesus, 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 Versus you living from yourself. I truly believe what, what is in us. Now it's not us. It's not our identity. But what's in us 
my opinion, I think it's our greatest battle. It's our greatest struggle until we go home and meet Jesus. And we might label it something else, but it's important, arms wide open, doing it with dependence on him in a community of believers, arms wide open, say, Jesus, not, not my will, but your will be done. That's what he's after. That's, that's the kingdom of God. That is the kingdom. And then if, if you have a fight with your spouse that reminds you of this rejection thing from your childhood, fight with your employer that might remind you of insecurity financially because you went through that when you were, when you were a kid, teenager, whatever it may be, the weight of that would not govern you. That is, that is the glory of Christ in you. One of the many glories. Does this make sense? Cool, we got 30, 40 people here-ish. It's 11.53. I kind of vomited on you, I'm sorry. It might happen next week. That might be the last time. But we want to give the spirit room to minister. You know, it doesn't stop here. But it's great for seeds to be planted, to be birthed, for lies to come out, for healing to be realized, for your eyes to be open, for the glory of God, which is Christ in all of you, to manifest. And that we would live from a place of love, joy, peace, patience, you know the rest. I'm going to ask the, the, the band to come up here just for sing, sing one more song, whether it's Amber or, or Micah. And um, it's your own personal time with God. We'll have some people up here or around you that, that can be there to place a hand on you. Maybe you just need to come lay by Jency as she's fully resting. <laughs> I'm being silly, but also being serious. You know, it's being in the kingdom of God every single day is an economy of gifts. It might feel painful. It might look one way. But it is is his gift. Last thing I'll say, then we could sing and worship. As I once heard a guy say that salvation is God has given you a gift. It has your name on the on the tag of the gift and he's give it to you purposely in mind so that you learn how to unwrap the gift and you learn to work out your salvation by trusting him day by day and that is our opportunity and when we open that gift we see the glory we receive the glory take that back we've already received it but we get to experience in a way that we've never experienced it before Let him speak to you.
Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.
Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.